The Scream Kings are in no way responsible for any encounters with the paranormal, extraterrestrial abductions, eldritch insanity, hauntings, curses, hexes, demonic possessions, cryptozoological sightings, or any loss of sleep that results from listening to this podcast. Scream Kings podcast. I'm Max George. And I'm Nathaniel Darkish. You will podcast less than you desire, but more than you deserve. Oh, but I think I deserve lots of podcasting. Oh, everyone deserves as much podcasting as they can possibly consume. Yes, we I mean we do have quite the backlog now. Did you did you get the little hint there? Consume instead of eat <laughs> or ah. taste? Whatever the thing is. Guys, we're talking about a fun movie tonight. Yes, uh, this episode is going to be centered around the 2022 movie The Menu, which is, you know, horror thriller with a little bit of dark comedy in there, so. You could say a, a Salt Bay amount of dark comedy? It's a little sous-son. Yeah, I, I really love this film. I think it's my favorite of 2022, actually. I haven't had... A, as much fun in a movie theater as I had when I first watched The Menu. I adore this film. I will own a physical copy. Uh, it's it's a delight. So this might be like a, a fangirl episode for Max. So Nathaniel, you'll have to keep me within bounds. Okay, I can do that. Welcome to Hawthorne. Here we are family. Yes, we harvest, we ferment, we gel. They gel. We gel. He's not just a chef, he's a storyteller. The game is trying to guess what the overarching theme of the entire meal is gonna be. You won't know till the end. Who are you? I am Margo. Why do you care? I have to know if you're with us or with them. This menu. The pictures, they're of us. This guest list. How do they get these? It's not good. This entire evening. This is just theater. It's stagecraft. We're leaving now. Has been painstakingly planned. This is real, isn't it? What the hell is going on? We now offer you a 45-second head start. (laughs) Okay, 45 seconds starts now. This is what you're paying for. Get out of my way. It's all part of the menu. It's okay. No, we're going to die today. Yes, we are. Yeah. So I guess just a few notes about the film. It was directed by Mark Mylod and written by Seth Rice and Will Tracy, uh, both of whom, uh, from what my, I've been able to research, are satirists. Um, they both worked for The Onion at one point, and I believe Will Tracy also uh, did some writing for John Oliver. So... Coming from kind of the, the comedy background, so it makes sense that we would have a satirical film as well as one that is uh, pretty creepy at times. Yeah, and it also has some really awesome heavy hitters. We've got Ralph Phineas, who is the one and only Lord Voldemort, as well as 
I, I feel bad sometimes for artists who are kind of characterized as their one character within the zeitgeist of society. Because um, Ralph Phineas is so ubiquitous. I mean, he plays so many more characters than just Voldemort, but... Yeah. Um... It's, it's hard to look at him without seeing Voldemort now. <laughs> See, I, I don't feel the same way with that, partially because maybe I hated you know, the Harry Potter movies, and which is a whole different conversation uh, that is going to get Max really mad at me. But I no, mean, like the movies are fine, Nathaniel. It's not like you're knocking the books. I get what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, I didn't I didn't like them, uh, and and I, I really didn't like the portrayal of Voldemort. I don't think that's Ralph Fiennes' fault. I think it just, you know, how they chose to portray him wasn't for me. But, I mean, he was all, like, in the horror world, he's also uh, Francis Dollarhide in Red Dragon, uh, so the uh, titular Great Red Dragon, a.k.a. the Tooth Fairy serial killer from Red Dragon. Very scary in that. He's Ramses in Prince of Egypt. Yeah, I mean, like I said, he's he's been all over the place, so to put him in a box of Voldemort is a little unfair. Anya Taylor-Joy is in this, and she's one of my new favorite actresses of all time. I think she is breathtaking. Yeah, she really is a Taylor-Joy to watch. <laughs> and then, of course, Nicholas Holt, who is... Uh, was he Cyclops, if I remember right? No, uh, he's the Beast, right? Beast. Yeah, the, in, the, yeah. in the newer X-Men that series. Is right. I, and he was very good in that role. Yes, I agree. So it's got John Leguizamo. Oh yeah, that's right. Good cast, all all across the board. Like everyone really delivered great performances. Yeah. Uh, so this film, like you mentioned, is a it's a satirical kind of allegory or a dissection of kind of the rich and poor. It, it gave me similar vibes to shoot. What is that board game movie that we love? Uh, I want to say Ready Player One, and that is not it. Uh, ready or not. Ready or not, yes. Kind of this pitting the poor versus the rich. Anya Taylor-Joy's character plays kind of our protagonist. She's going along with her boyfriend, who is Beast, and he is so excited because they have this exclusive trip to this kind of upper echelon, the elite of the elite restaurant. And she doesn't quite get it, but hey, cool, free, rich, fancy meal. She's on board. Uh, and she starts... Especially because she was hired to be there, because she is actually a prostitute. <laughs> we learn that later, but yes. <laughs> uh, she is introduced to a beautiful cast of characters. We have the, the stereotypical food critics, the washed out celebrity who thinks he's a foodie and his kind of girlfriend who's obviously not in love with him the kind of bro group who are funding this restaurant so they think they own everything and then yeah the, the tech bros your your rich white couple who just have so much money they don't know what to do with it um they get to this kind of cool island they go on this tour they meet the kind of the the host of the island let's say maitre d maitre d yes perfect um, and, and right off the bat, we get some real strong cult vibes. Um, a lot of kind of creepy things are happening. The, the chefs live in these little homes. And, and then we get to the restaurant, and the meal begins. And it, it slowly starts to fall apart from there in some of the most crazy ways imaginable. I mean, I guess we might as well just kind of summarize some of the other main, main plot points, and then we'll jump into all of our pros. But yeah, they quickly uh, begins uh, being served... 
Uh, it's supposed to be, what, like 10 courses or something? Yeah. Um, they're immediately kind of weird and insulting uh, courses of, of food. You know, there are... <laughs> Uh, there's like a, the breadless bread platter, and then there is, you know, one of the sous chefs, uh, you know, presents his, his dish, and he lays out a, a tarp, and they beautifully, you know, put stuff around him, and then he shoots himself in the head. <laughs> you know, it, lots of uh, neutrative uh, dishes, you know, come, coming at us. You know, and so, and, oh, and then, you know, also very quickly, we can see that there's... Before you know, we even have people killing themselves. We also have some some really sinister stuff when they have tacos that have like laser printed onto them, uh, something damning about like each person there, uh, including you know tax fraud documents and uh, pictures of the elderly man cheating on his wife, kind of a thing. These these dark lurid secrets that are printed on tortillas. But hey, it tastes real good. Um, me and my friends have started calling our deep dark secrets tortilla secrets <laughs> because this uh, it's kind of hard to des- ex- describe this film a little bit Nathaniel because it approaches a lot of these plot elements in this kind of segmented almost kind of dish by dish scene and I don't know to me the way they're presenting it was very ostentatious very rich very tongue in cheek and you you kind of just have to see it to really capture what they're describing, what they're actually doing. We could talk a lot about each scene individually, but until you see it, it's it's kind of nebulous, almost. To kind of summarize the really key plot points, you know, Anya Taylor-Joy's character um, really doesn't belong there. She was the only one who wasn't on the original guest list. You know, they had you know, presumably deep dark secrets for each person there. And, you know, the chef was very uh, selective about who was there because uh, it turns out this is going to be their final meal ever. Basically, they are going to one by one or, you know, in large groups, uh, depending on which uh, course we're talking about, kill all of the uh, people who are eating and then kill themselves, uh, the, the chefs are. And so, uh, but Margot doesn't fit there, uh, who is Ani Taylor's character, uh, because she was the one person that wasn't on the original guest list. And so he's trying to figure out where she fits in. We have all of this kind of weird tension between Chef Slowick and Margot, and trying to determine which side she should be on. Should she be on the service side or on the on the patron side? Ultimately, she is the one person who escapes after she basically uh, decides to return her meal because she, you know hated it and uh and she's still hungry orders a burger instead and takes that to go and manages to escape the uh final slaughter which involves a a deconstruction of the classic s'more yes it is a brilliant scene in which all of our lovable guests put chocolate on like a chocolate robe on with a marshmallow hat and then they just light the place on fire as they sit on kind of this ground of graham, graham crackers it's it's ridiculous and so good at the same time mm. yeah, and and what i love is that like describing really any of these ideas sounds like it's just <laughs> it sounds, cartoonish yeah that's what i'm trying to say here is is i'm listening to you to describe the plot and it's like 
if I had not seen this film, I'd be like, what the hell? This sounds ridiculous. But, <laughs> but yeah, it's but, not. Yeah, it, it, it manages to make this very absurdist concept uh, work. Like, the way it's shot is beautiful. It seems like, you know, you're watching... Uh, you know, the the most intense, high-end, gourmet, you know, preparations of food being filmed in this brilliant way. You know, the presentation is, you know, 10 out of 10, you know, amazing. Um, you know, they, they, they really play it straight and they play the horror of it straight. You know, we have people really reacting in just utter terror and revulsion as, you know, suddenly these chefs start killing themselves or uh, they start, you know, killing or harming the other patrons of the meal and things like that. And it, it quickly just becomes this kind of weird nightmare while also at its, you know, purest level being, yeah, absurd because like what, you know, once you're starting to talk about, you know, paying a thousand dollars for a meal, what isn't absurd about that? Right. Yeah, that, that's what I, I think I loved a lot about this film, is it, is it takes a lot of the absurdity of the first world life that we have. Uh, you know, we always say first world problems, and if you stop and kind of think about that, it is pretty absurd, some of the stuff that we complain and, and go to the extent that we do. I mean, in, in some capacity, you could say, you know, starting a podcast and talking about horror movies like we do is a little absurd. And if we took it to that upper echelon you know and we're charging people thousands of dollars to come and listen to two other humans talk about art that is so subjective to the consumer it's just kind of silly and mm -hmm. I, I i think the food world does this quite well you know i i'm a foodie nathaniel you're a foodie we love to cook we love to bake we love good food and you and i both have seen those ridiculous food network shows where they're just going above and beyond and making some sort of egg flavored foam ice cream that just is ridiculous and, and this movie takes all of that absurdity and packs it tight into the horror frame and it gives you something that is just so original and unique i think mm. that's what i really loved about this film is the trailer doesn't give a lot away yeah yeah i, I had no idea what it was going to be based on the trailer and the film itself it's something we haven't seen before. It's not a serial killer. It's not a monster film. It's not a possession. It is kind of this millennial interpretation of how absurd capitalism can be. And I sound like such a millennial as I say these words, but it really resonated with me. I, I love this film. Yeah, I, I really like it as well. Um, again, you know, I think you, you love it a little bit more than me, but I still really really dug uh how this film was presented and and yeah like just some of the scenes are so good right like we we just have so many like little things kind of sprinkled throughout and so it really does kind of build like a multi-course meal like they they really clearly did a lot of research on like fine like you know top of the line dining to understand not just like the techniques of of fine dining and, and food and weird experimental foods and all that kind of stuff but also like you know how it's served how it's plated how it's presented and how they can kind of play off this idea that like uh, a fine dining experience can like be a story that that the chef is telling yeah and turn it's... that into this you know 
Oh, well, it's a horror story that this chef is telling. Sure. Yeah, he, he's catharting in some capacity, right? Yeah, and, and, and I, what I like, too, is that he, too, is both a, a like justifiably vindictive person in a way, but also acknowledges like his own terribleness. Yeah, you know, he that, that he is murdering, that he did uh, sexually harass one of his sous chefs, like all of that kind of stuff is also getting owned. That like he isn't above this. Yeah, it, it's a uh, it's one of those situations I think where the antagonist is kind of that anti-hero. He's obviously doing terrible things. He's killing people, but the way they portray him is kind of this empathetic character. He was an artist and he loved cooking for the sake of that kind of love language, you know, giving someone food and making their day and it's been twisted and corrupted and now he's going to get his revenge. And who hasn't been in a situation like that before where you've been taken advantage of or your identity is kind of twisted into something it's not. Everyone, I think, can relate to that. And sometimes everybody wants to throw some punches. Don't get me started. I'm a high school teacher dealing with seniors. Yeah. <laughs> so again, all of this is kind of uh, giving weight to the execution of the film. Let's maybe pick apart some of our favorite scenes. We'll try and describe them as best we can. Again, if you haven't seen the menu, though, do yourself some justice and go watch this film because it a lot of these moments are hard to describe you have to see them it, it's that that experience or whatever um nathaniel you already mentioned there's one of the sous chefs who it's like the third or fourth main course and he kills himself they get this beautiful drape they put all these different herbs and accoutrements and all of that all over him and the and the drape and our our lead chef talks about how he is just filled with pride and will never be at the same level and his life is essentially cursed and the only way to take it back is to kill himself and he shoots himself and that's when the movie kind of shifts and it gets crazy from there what what other scenes did you like i really enjoyed the other sous chefs thing you know where it's basically yeah so uh, you know my boss harassed me and tried to make moves on me and you know basically punished me professionally for not sleeping with him and so uh for this course uh we're going to basically have the men run for their lives and i'm going to send out the uh, other uh waiters or yeah all of our our strong waiters to go and hunt them down not to kill them but they, you know drags them all back after beating them up and you know the last one discovered uh is given like a, a special a special little uh treat before they drag him back yeah <laughs> really can... enjoyed that yeah there's also this moment where uh ralph finis 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 i think it's fines fines um his character talks about the investors and how they've polluted his art and how they essentially were the saving angel, but now they have fallen. And they somehow suspend him in the air, and they have these huge wings kind of embedded into his back. And they slowly descend him into the ocean and let him drown. Uh, it's a very cinematic and eerily beautiful moment, but I, I think it also sheds light on his character and how kind of twisted and broken he is. Mm -hmm. And speaking of broken... 
Um, my two favorite characters are the food critics. They're just so ostentatiously like critics. It's disgusting how she'll say one thing and then her kind of I don't know coworker, co-host, co-critic. It's like, like oh, or like editor or something. Oh yes, uh, yeah, I can see where you're coming from, and it's a, it's a. Elysium presentation, like just these fluff words that don't mean anything, and just this blind kind of arrogance to the food. Um, she comments, however, she's kind of the main critic about the broken broth, and just like, oh, this is just so bad, this is so gross, this is just not okay. And Ralph Fine's character, of course, sees this and starts sending out bigger and bigger and bigger bowls of this broken broth. Um, and I did some research, and there's actually a deleted scene. She actually ends up being waterboarded by this broken broth, which is twisted, and probably good that they didn't put that in there, but I just thought it was terribly beautiful. <laughs> that, uh, that, that would have worked really well. I'm surprised they cut that. Yeah, I, I am too. I, I also really did uh, enjoy one of the elements of, of our kind of twist when we find out that Margot is a prostitute because we, we find out that uh, her, her date, Tyler, you know, played by Nicholas Holt, is the only person there who was aware of the plan. He was aware of what was going to be going on and he wanted to go anyway. He, he appreciated this idea of this final perfect meal and you know he's a, such a foodie and all that stuff and so he had a you know a, a girlfriend who was going to be coming with him but she dumped him and so then he had to scramble because you know the, the reservations have to be for two and so he hired her fully knowing that she would be murdered and so just like that kind of added level of messed upness as he's just like happily slurping away at everything regardless of how horrifying things are uh really worked for me in a, a really powerful way well and they also kind of used him to display this kind of novice interpretation of the cooking art right mm -hmm. after after the reveal happens with Margot, they take him and throw him in the kitchen and ask that he cook something just off the top of his head and clearly he can't and everyone is obviously watching him and judging making fun and Ralph Fiennes talks about this bastardization of his art, that the media has made everybody a food critic or everybody a chef while he, you know, put in the work, basically. Um, and, and again, it's kind of this weird and twisted focus in on, on everything that we have been talking about, the absurdity of this upper echelon, this capitalistic kind of culture, we could say. Uh, I, I really loved that because... Again, I, I watch a lot of Food Network, and when I saw that scene, I was like, oh, damn, they're talking about me! <laughs> yeah, they... I, I felt a little uh, called out, just a teeny bit, but to be fair, I could have made something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. Uh, and then, of course, there is this awesome twist that's really fun. Anya Taylor-Joy's character escapes, and she calls the Coast Guard. Uh, she thinks it doesn't work. But she gets back to the restaurant, and the Coast Guard comes, and everyone's like, oh, we're saved! Everyone's freaking out, trying to help this Coast Guard understand their situation. And backing up a little bit, though, Ralph Fiennes' character, 
shuts everyone down, tells them that if they talk, he's going to kill them, of course. Uh, I guess we, it's Chef Slowick. We could yeah. call him by that title. <laughs> yeah, or so just it, Chef. So there's all of this tension that's just building and building and building. And because they've all been essentially gagged, the Coast Guard leaves. And then he recognizes something because one of the guests has handed him a note saying, you know, help us or whatever. So then it twists on the chef. The Coast Guard is now, you know, put your hands up. Here we go. You know, I've got to save all these people. He clicks his gun and it's a lighter and he lights one of the candles on the table. He's, he's, been, he's with the whole cast. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's brilliant. I figured that had to be what was coming, but I loved it. Love that. The I, way I, I ate it up. I, I did kind of feel that happening as well, but they still were able to maintain that level of doubt and uncertainty, and I was okay mm-hmm. with that, you know? Yeah, what I liked is, like, I didn't see very many things ahead of time. That one, you know, I kind of figured that's what they were going to go with it, but regardless, it still worked real well, and I enjoyed the heck out of that. So, you know, that that's a great thing. There's a lot of twists and turns. I didn't expect most of them, and the few things I did expect played out better than I think I, I even anticipated. So that's how you know you're doing it well. The surprising <laughs> but inevitable is pulled off. Yeah, and again, we could talk about a lot of the different scenes that we love. Um, I think something that drew me to this film, other than what we've already talked about, is it gave me quite the, the same vibe as Rosemary's Baby that there's this kind of weird cold thing going on. I don't quite understand it or know where it's going. Mm -hmm. And it kept me guessing who's the bad guy, what's going on with Margot, what's wrong with the chef. It it really told a story in such a good way. And like I said earlier, it's just such a creative thing that they did. This story is just not heard of. And if it is, please tell us. I'd like to watch more. But it, it gave me that same vibe, where you are almost trying to solve a mystery at the same time being scared and trapped in this, this crazy restaurant. You know, another thing that, that we kind of have, have noted is just, you know, yeah, like the characters are, for the most part, like either uh, likable or very easy to hate in a, in a way that kind of makes it fun to watch what happens. Um, you know, we, we cheer for Margot. We, you know kind of dislike at varying levels the rest of the guests the chefs are interesting in their dedication but are uh very unhinged uh it's it's fun it's it's just fun to watch how it plays out with these characters yeah they i don't want to say they're realistic because i think they're caricatures right we're not Mm -hmm. watching a bunch of realistic humans we're watching the deadbeat celebrity we're watching the high-end critics we're watching the prostitute we're watching the the sexist jock almost and so they're they make decisions to who they are in their caricature but not what normal people would make i think one of my biggest criticisms not mine but what i've heard other people say is why didn't people fight back why didn't they try to escape why didn't they you know do something they they surrendered very quickly yeah and and like it it did give us enough of a feel that like they all were stunned by what was going on that was hard for them to process when they did try anything it went bad for them 
But yeah, I, I will say to an extent there are moments where I think it could have maybe played out with a little bit more fighting back. If if there was just a touch more of it, it would have been a little bit easier to swallow some of the more absurd things that happen. But even then, I didn't feel like I was bothered by, oh, how unrealistic that they would be stunned and just go- keep going along with this. People do weird things when they're in shock. And this whole situation is just a series of things that are going to put them in various levels of shock. It's hard to get into fight mode when, you know, one person who does try to stand up to it just gets their finger cut off. I agree. I, again, that was not my criticism, but when I heard others mention. Mm-hmm. We've talked a little bit about this. The satire was very poignant, I think, for what we're kind of experiencing right now. Uh, the rich are very rich, and they can take something as beautiful as food and turn it into you know, their own culture. And I think that is kind of a horror realm that hasn't been tapped quite as much. I think it's just barely kind of being uncovered in maybe our generation and Gen Z. And I would love to see more of this type of horror. I think it does very well. It's not oversaturated. We don't have five million types of this story. I would like to see more. Yeah, and, and I agree, you know, the, the comparison you made earlier to Ready or Not was a, an apt one. Um, you know, we obviously have some of this, but I, yeah, I think that this kind of social commentary, questioning this huge disparity in wealth and things like that, is uh, a, a rich vein that could be explored in even more new and fresh ways. Yeah, and I think it makes the burger scene that you mentioned, when Margot kind of tricks the chef in his own game she sees this picture of him smiling when he was making a burger so she challenges him to make the the perfect burger and it kind of softens his heart and he sees through to her as kind of the same as he is and again i think that was very poetic that at the end of the day humans like what we like doesn't matter if you have the money it doesn't matter if it's you know some gourmet burger sometimes the simple things that make us happy are what matter Mm-hmm. And it saved her life. She got away. So, burgers save lives. That's that's what I'm learning from this. We need a shirt that says that with just a sloppy cheeseburger. <laughs> burgers save lives. Over like a crossed out meat as murder. <laughs> yeah, I guess. One thing we haven't discussed, but is is definitely in our outline for the show, uh, and I definitely is something I, I I feel strongly about in this movie is. Its use of music was very good. Yeah, they did a really good job at this. Music, you know, we, we talk a lot about how sometimes the the cinematography feels like a character almost sometimes in a film. Mm-hmm. And here, the music was fulfilling this quite substantially. Uh, the way they edited that, they need an award. It was amazing. Yeah, I feel like the sound editing and 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 very beautiful but uh still kind of unnerving music just yeah really 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 any other positives we want to shine a spotlight on before we uh dive into maybe things that left a bit of a sour taste in our mouth (laughs) see what i'm doing here (laughs) i don't think so i think we kind of hit everything again 
I just adore this film, so I could talk about it for far too long. All right, let's talk about the first and just most glaring issue with this. Oh boy, here we go, nothing. American cheese doesn't belong on a cheeseburger. American cheese doesn't belong on anything. American cheese belongs in the garbage. So even though it melts so perfectly on a burger, I don't care. It tastes like butt. So, you know, let's just not uh, <laughs> encourage, even from the our, our fine gourmet chefs, this falsehood about American cheese being good for cheeseburgers. That's why all freaking burger places have American cheese on their burgers, but it's just the worst thing. You heard it here, everyone. <sighs> That's all we have to say. The movie's perfect, except the cheese. <laughs> yeah, it just, mm, no. Outside of dairy, I would have liked to have had a few more kind of intense or graphic scare scenes. Uh, there were a few. The fallen angel was pretty dark and twisted and chopping the finger off and killing yourself. All that was great. Uh, but that was kind of it. The the line, they they found the line and they stayed there. They didn't really cross it anymore. And I, I wish they would have pushed it a little bit harder. You know, you always say that you, you open with something as shocking as a suicide in a film like this. And sure, it gets your attention and it kind of sets the tone. But if you don't do anything that matches that again, uh, the movie starts to kind of wander a little bit. Yeah, I I agree. I th- I think the the people who were probably going and seeing this film in theaters were probably mostly horror people. I don't necessarily think the trailer was going to be attracting a, that much of a wider audience. Agreed. Um and so I think yeah, kind of leaning into some of the horror elements more, you know, maybe even just along the lines of uh Margot getting uh you know, chased by the maitre d', uh, you know, when, when she has her confrontation with her, that could have been more upsetting. I don't know, just, like, there are little moments that I just feel like it was at an 8, and it could have been a 10 uh, in terms of intensity that would have just really made the, the scares uh, more powerful, the tension even higher. But, I mean, like, as a whole, getting an 8 when I want a 10 is not a bad thing in a horror movie it's just you know uh it's good but it could be even better yeah now that you say like the the matra d and Margot, yeah i definitely feel like that could have been amped up a little bit that whole scene and vibe kind of was a little underwhelming and felt a little disjointed perhaps um yeah yeah i yeah go ahead and and, and along those lines like i feel like the matra d is probably the weakest character in that she was weird and kind of unnerving and i liked you know her her calm demeanor and oh no the chef wants to to talk to you and all that she she was great for a lot of the film but then like her excuse for attacking Margot as she's sneaking around was just basically we don't go in the chef's house and you're going to replace me okay no that's like the dumbest reason in this moment to feel threatened is being replaced like to me when she's fighting her because you're going to replace me. That's, I don't know, that, that felt like it was out of nowhere. Yes, Chef keeps talking to Margot, but it's not that he is going, oh, what's your uh, culinary experience? Have you, you know, like, n- none of that is there. And, and so, especially 
you're going to replace me 10 minutes before we all kill ourselves felt kind of out of the blue to me. Yeah, she had a lot of fun, like, witty one-liners, especially mm. with the, like, tech guys who they were, like, questioning the tortillas and they asked, what is this? She said, a tortilla. They said, no, but, like, what is this? She's tortilla deliciosa. <laughs> that, that was funny. That was good. But, yeah, she... She seemed like the throwaway character. Every movie has to have. Yeah, yeah. Or at the very least, they didn't. I feel like they didn't know how to resolve her character in a meaningful way. Sure. Yeah, agreed. Um, another thing is, I would have liked a little bit more plot or kind of background for the secondary characters, the the failed celebrity and the critics. We got a little bit of why the chef was kind of after them. But I, I really loved them so much. I, I wanted to know a little bit more about them and what they were about. Yeah, and, and maybe not even necessarily more backstory, but just more plot relevance. You know, instead of them being there for him to hate and do bad things to, if they had, I don't know, a little bit more to offer in terms of resistance, in terms of, you know, f- trying to yeah fight back or trying to challenge things in a way that could have been shot down by the chef in in a brilliant and fun and snarky way. Yeah, agreed. To me, I felt like, honestly, probably the biggest problem with this for me is just that the satire was a little bit too on the nose. I just wanted a little bit more subtlety. To, to me, the, as, as we were kind of describing earlier, a lot of these wealthy characters especially were kind of overly caricature-ish. I wouldn't have minded if they had been one or two steps closer to being more rounded characters that still have these, you know, strong attributes that, that, you know, we are being critical of. I just feel like sometimes we rely too much on caricature in satire in a way that it feels like you're not making fun of or, or drawing attention to uh, a real person that is an issue. You're, or, 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 you know, I guess what, what it looks like when dealing with this issue with real people, you're drawing attention to this issue by painting it unrealistically. And so I don't feel like I can necessarily have a, a conversation with someone who is, you know, hyper wealthy elite if all I have as a frame of reference when it comes to criticizing them is stuff like this that is a little bit too black and white, you know, well, you know, they're just a cartoon character version of that, that character, right? Do you see where I'm coming from with that? Yes, I can. Um, I, I, I think it's, I think that's not the story they were portraying. I, I think they wanted that hyper caricature because of how far they were leaning into the satire. And I think it would have taken away from the tongue in cheek of it all. Um, it would have made it definitely a more kind of serious and provoking film, perhaps, to have some more well-rounded characters in the mix. I just think that you, you can still pull off tongue-in-cheek. Uh, you can still uh, pull off kind of dark, funny, uh, snarky social commentary being a little bit more nuanced with, with your characters. I just feel like they just went a little bit further down the the caricature road than I wanted them to because there were some interesting things about these characters and they did have interesting conflicts with each other which I liked. I just feel like 
a teeny bit more of that, and I would have been even more on board and, and would have probably, you know, given this a movie a, a little bit higher rating once we get to our ratings. Yeah, sure. Definitely see what you're saying here. And again, I love me some satire. So <laughs> I, I, satire is probably the thing that I, like, focus on often the some of the most in my in my English classes uh, because I, I find it interesting to discuss and think about. And so my opinions of satire are probably going to be very different than a lot of other people's because I spend so freaking much time thinking about it and talking about it and teaching about it. So, yeah, as long as we can agree that yeah. neither opinion is wrong and the other is right. I, you know, I'm going to say that that's totally fine here. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you that you're wrong on other things, but I think on this one, you know, it's just kind of a different, uh, different uh, tastes. But you know, but we yeah. both have that refined palate that we appreciated what we were given. Exactly, exactly. There we go. Mm. Ooh, la la. <laughs> All right, let's give this guy a rating. Scream wise, I gave this a three. I felt like. Uh, the scenes that delivered some solid intensity were very good, but you know, like we said, they could have amped it up a bit to to get it up to a you know four or five for me, uh, and I would have loved that. Yeah, I, I gave it a four. I thought it was a little bit intense in moments, I, but it, it's not really a scary film. It's not demons. It's not ghosts. It's not serial killers. This is something much different. Mm-hmm. What did you give it in crowns? I gave it a nine. Again, I think this was my favorite movie of 2022. I had a blast. I laughed. I was kind of creeped out. The audience I was with also, I think, helped my opinion of this. The theater was very engaged with it. There were lots of gasps and laughs. And <gasps> and it, it just was fun. Uh, I, like I said, I will own this film. I give it a nine. Uh, I give it an eight. Um... I wonder if, yeah, maybe I would have been more uh, ready to give it a 9 if I had seen it in a theater. Uh, now I just watch it on HBO, mostly on my phone. So, um, you know, that might have taken away a little bit from the experience, but it's still stunning. It was still a great watch. Um, I really, really enjoyed this movie and think it's definitely worth checking out. Especially, again, if you're a fan of satire and like to, to you know look at how horror can be a vehicle to talk about interesting social commentary. While being also darkly funny. Speaking of funny, Nathaniel, we're gonna we're gonna take a little time machine trip and play a game we haven't played in a while. Yes, we are. Uh, so I have a very special game of my my B real game. Um, this one is going to be titled Eat It. For for those of you who are uh, more recent. Uh, listeners to to our podcast if if you haven't gone back and, and listened to our our backlog which you know you have plenty of time to get to that uh you have until the end of natural time or at least until the end of your life to do that <laughs> and you should but if you haven't yet uh right. let me explain what the be real game is so the be real game is something i came up with where i f- have found uh two truly just bonkers ridiculous low budget horror movies um that are 100% real and then I made one up myself uh and and I you know choose it along a theme and this theme is eat it and I uh read off the uh 
film titles uh, and their descriptions and a review. Uh, and then um, after we go through the, the three uh, options, Max has to guess which one I came up with. Dun, dun, dun. And I have a pretty good track record. I yeah, I've only not gotten one. Uh, two, I think. But that is still a very good track record. Um, you know, five out of seven ain't bad. Yeah. So, way to go, me. Yes. <laughs> so, accordingly, I have taken some time to, to recenter myself. And <laughs> I think I might have something real special this time around. All right, all right. Let's hear it. Our first option coming to us from uh, the year 2011 is Bad Burger. Our description. Diners, drive-ins, and die. No, 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 no. <laughs> Meet Joe Picante, celebrity chef and host of Dining In, a show highlighting local restaurants across America. Desperate to keep his ratings up, he brings his crew to a voodoo-themed greasy spoon in the bayou. But things go or quickly go sour when the burgers bite back. Oh, Jesus. Can Joe survive, save his crew, and make the episode of a lifetime? <laughs> Overall score, 4.1 out of 10. And our review gave it a 10 out of 10. Bone appetite. This insane movie, complete with its great value brand Guy Fieri and CG hamburger monstrosity, is so cheesy and fun, it gave me heartburn. Our second option, The Refrigerator from 1991. A couple move into a bad apartment in a bad neighborhood in New York. The apartment contains a refrigerator, which is the only thing they like in the place. However, they slowly discover that the refrigerator is a monster which kills people in gruesome ways and sends them to hell. Why? Why does it have to send them to hell? The refrigerator is already gaining mind control over the husband. (laughs) What will happen? Overall score, 4.2 out of 10. And our review gave it a 9 out of 10, describing it as a criminally underrated demonic uh, domestic appliance flick. This low-budget masterpiece is the business. Our third option. Gourmet, the zombie chef from hell. And that, of course, is G-O-R-E-M-E-T. This is from uh, 1986. A cannibal opens up a seafood restaurant and kills and cooks people to serve to his customers. Overall score, 2.7 out of 10, and the review gave it a 2 out of 10. I'm embarrassed to even be commenting on this one. A 600-year-old Hawaiian shirt-wearing, bicycle-riding cannibal with spots goes through the usual motions in a small restaurant in Jerkwaterburg, USA, as background extras overact outrageously in this camcorder-quality crap fest. So, And and one of these is not real. And one of these is not real. Is the fictitious one Bad Burger, The Refrigerator, or Gourmet, The Zombie Chef from Hell? But two of them are real. <laughs> two of these are 100% real. Oh, Satan, help me now. <sighs> okay, okay. So, you and I both don't love the zombie genre, right? 
Uh, I mean, it depends. Yeah, I mean, in general, we think it's a little oversaturated. For sure. So I'm going to go with my gut and say you wouldn't produce more zombie content. So the gourmet or gore zombie or gourmand or whatever. The gourmet, the zombie chef from hell. Is out. Okay. So that leaves the refrigerator or bad burger. So the refrigerator sounds bonkers, mm-hmm. but it has so many twists and turns that it almost sounds real. Mm-hmm. It gives me like Velocipaster vibes or Lamageddon. And Bad Burger doesn't. The thing that I'm held up with Bad Burger is diners, drive-ins, and dies. No, and die. I don't know if Food Network would allow that to exist. Well, that's not the name of the I know. film. That's just the tagline. I know. But wouldn't that get funded, right? Like, Joe Picante, a, a Guy Fieri, you know, a budget Guy Fieri getting attacked by a burger monster? Uh, sign me up. If that's not real, I want it to be well, now you're pushing a little bit, so I'm going to say that is the fake one. It is. <laughs> yes! <laughs> you you screwed yourself over there at the end. <laughs> I know, I, I, I totally stepped in it. <laughs> it's okay, because but, that was bonkers and I want that to be real, and we need right? to pitch that to somebody. <laughs> yeah, I need to find someone who just makes the worst movies, because everything about this idea that I came up with is 10 out of 10 totally the kind of crap I love to watch. We could create something that could become a phenomenon. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Diners, Drive-Ins, and Die is arguably the best thing I've ever written. Yeah, it is brilliant, and I love it, and I need so much more of that. And I have so many puns with the gave me heartburn, bone, appetite, things go sour. Ah, I had so much fun writing that one. (laughs) <laughs> that was phenomenal and uh that this will just mark a renaissance of the, of this ga- uh, game because i have so many new ideas too for other horrible ones you don't even know we need to have our guests read them because i think i know you too well yeah that might be part of the problem we, we should just play this with with random strangers who maybe are a little too professional to do this but we're just gonna make them do it anyway i've known you for so long i think i i kind of know your vibe and your humor yeah that's fair but though though i will say i did uh fool my wife on that one so (laughs) she thought that it was gonna be gourmet oh that was that those were good those were really good you know even though you got it i'm still very proud of myself you should be proud of yourself. Positive self-talk. And again, really just, I don't think anyone's ever written anything that good as, you know, diners, drive-ins, and die. <laughs> okay, um, how are you staying spooky these days, Max? <laughs> well, after that adventure... <laughs> by, by dreaming about what magical things Bad Burger would be. Yes. Um, I am saying sequel to Good Burger. In two ways. First, I watched a film the other day called The Offering. 
Um, it is a very compelling Jewish possession film, uh, a la kind of the Vigil. Um, I don't know if we've talked about Vigil on that show yet. No, we yes, did. Yes, we have. We did. Of course we did. I really adore Jewish folklore. I think it is an untapped market, and there is some really terrifying stuff in it. Uh, highly recommend this. I watched it on Shudder, I believe. I don't want to give too much away, other than it's kind of the classic husband and wife are having a fallout. They think a baby will solve their problems. And then something happens. Bum, bum, bum. Bum. Um, it's very good. Acting is really great, and the scares are really fun as well. Highly recommend. The other way I'm staying spooky is I have purchased kind of an indie storytelling game called The Chant. It is similar to games like Until Dawn and The Quarry, where you have to make these life decisions that kind of alter the flow of the game. Uh, however, it is kind of this weird cult vibe. You're a character that arrives on this island, and they're trying to purge all of their dark sins away and you know and like they you unleash an eldritch horror that slowly starts taking over their minds and it's all very like myconid so a lot of fungus a lot of that kind of stuff uh really fun really cool it's a indie game so take that with a grain of salt right sometimes it's not the best and the dialogue is pretty cheesy but the gameplay is a ton of fun uh i definitely have to check that one out yeah so I have been staying spooky. Um, one, I wanted to talk about something I read a while back. I think I might have mentioned it on the show before, but it felt relevant uh, considering all of the food-themed horror uh, this particular episode. Uh, so if if I haven't mentioned this, or if I already have, just bear with me, because uh, this book is uh, very solid. It's called The Ghost That Ate Us by Daniel Krauss, and it is about a haunted burger joint. It, it seems like it would be intensely silly, and it, like it's it's marketed in in a way that it looks like it's just this like ridiculous farce almost, uh, but it actually genuinely is very scary. It plays it the, this concept very straight. It is you know basically a fictional version of the author Daniel Kraus is investigating this whole thing, and he's talking to people who survived some horrifying things related to this haunting and a, a whole massacre that happened and how it has continued to haunt them and, and destroy their lives even after surviving a particularly bloody night at the the restaurant. Yeah, so it's it's a lot of fun. I was genuinely shocked at how creepy it was. This is the first time I've read anything by Daniel Krauss, but he has uh, some existing horror bona fides. He, for example co-wrote the novelization of Shape of Water with Guillermo del Toro, and I think he also co-wrote the original book for Troll Hunters with Guillermo del Toro as well. Like, cool guy, super nice guy. I met him at SoberCon last year briefly, and uh, great book, so uh, worth a read. Also, uh, one that I'm currently making my way through, and I shamelessly uh, started texting you about as soon as I started reading it, because it's right up your alley, Max, is Silver Nitrate by Silvia Moreno-Garcia. This is a book that is coming out very soon, um, and I got my hands on an advanced copy, and I'm going to double-check of when it's coming out exactly, so that way y'all know, you know, 
when to pre-order it and stuff. Okay, it's expected to come out in July, uh, July 18th. But definitely pre-order this because this is a fantastic book. Basically, it is uh, set in the 90s in Mexico. It is dealing with like the film industry in Mexico. And basically, we have a kind of washed-up actor and uh, his best friend who... Uh, she is like a sound editor for film. Meet uh, one of their heroes, uh, a man who uh, directed a bunch of like horror films in like the fifties. They they meet him and and find out about this film that he never finished. That seems like is deeply tied to Nazi occultism, and because it's shot on silver nitrate film, maybe could be a spell. And, and he feels like, basically, because he wasn't able to finish his film back when he's younger, it kind of opened a spell, and it's basically he has been cursed ever since because he hasn't been able to, to kind of close it out. Yeah, and, and it, like, really, like, she, she clearly did her research on, like, a lot of very specific stuff in terms of, like, how actual, like, proponents of, of magic do their thing or did their thing whether that's Aleister Crowley or Anton LaVey or a lot of these you know kind of early you know early 1900s magician sorcerer satanists etc as well as you know kind of the interest that the Nazis had in the occult in a way that feels fun and interesting and not like oh great another Nazi story it's very good also like big you know like the whole time I'm just nerding out about like classic film stuff as well in it it's so good, especially if you love old horror movies and magic. Uh, pick this book up. Sylvia Moreno Garcia is amazing. She wrote one of my favorite horror novels of the last decade, uh, Mexican Gothic. And this book is quite possibly better. So hmm. I will be looking into this. You have to remind me come July. <laughs> yes. Oh, I will, because it's ah, just so freaking good. Yeah, sounds awesome. Well, I think that is it, and that puts us right at an hour. Very nice. Yeah! Hooray! Well, everyone, thanks for listening. Go get some food. Taste it. Don't eat it, as uh, the chef would say. And stay spooky. Stay spooky! Need even more Scream Kings? Here's our obligatory shameless social media plug. Follow us on Twitter or Instagram, at ScreamKingsPod. You could also email us at ScreamKingsPodcast at gmail.com. Help us reach a wider audience of horror fans by leaving a review on iTunes or by sharing a link on social media. You could also support the show by going to Patreon.com forward slash ScreamKings. Stay spooky.